Hey, welcome to the Michelle Mission. Two men, one podcast. Every black film ever made. My name is Len, a.k.a. The Bat Tribble. And as always, I am joined by my partner. Hey, this is Vincent Williams. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, do not adjust your screens. Yes, we have been promoting this for three weeks. And yes, it hasn't happened. But now, tonight's the night. Tonight is the night when the Michelle Mission caps off our September of Doc to School, celebrating all the great black documentaries as we present to you our review, or should we say conversation, Yes, about 2023's Little Richard. I am everything. I am everything. And though we know you've tuned in to listen to me and Vince talk about this, we know that you are in rapt attention because our very special guest is none other than the producer and director of yes. said documentary. Put your hands together. Show some love, if you will, for Lisa Cortez yes. here on the Michelle Mission. How are you, Lisa? I am great. I I am showing some some fa- a fan made this for me. Really, that is awesome. Yeah, it, they're called your resting stitch face. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you so much, yes. uh, Lisa, yes. for for sitting in with us tonight as we talk about your documentary about little Richard, I am everything. Um, this has been three weeks in the making, but it's happening. And we yes, are it is. so excited yes, it to have is. you here. I am so excited when I first met you guys in Philadelphia during Black Star. Give it up for Black, Black Star. Star Black Star. That's right. Yeah, that's our people. I just was like, I love the range of the conversation that I had with you. I love that we can dip and dab with our history, particularly cinematic history. And um, I, I'm really excited when you said, yes, let's let's do this. So it's it's my great honor to to be with Len and Vincent. Oh, well, we are honored to have you. And we are certainly going to dip and dab tonight with this documentary. Like Len, Len's been joking about, but I have been chomping at the bit to talk to you about so much in this documentary, so. Okay, well, I don't want you to chomp on your partner there, so let's get rolling. <laughs> oh, thank you. Because <laughs> she knows Vincent very well, because he will. Um, we were chomping a bit before we started. <laughs> anyway, but before we get into that, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to change things up tonight because mm-hmm. we do have Lisa here in, in studio. So um, we're not going to do a a Six Degrees of Derville Martin tonight. But instead, because I, I'm telling you, you, y'all just do not know. Vincent has notes like this high. He is ready to get into uh, multiple conversations with Lisa. So what we're going to do is going to share a couple of emails with you, and then we're going to jump right into our conversation. All right. So, Dylan, it is time for missives from the missionaries. So, what else is going on, Lynn? We have emails, Vincent. Ooh, missives from the missionaries. Ooh. 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 
right, Vincent, here is our first email. All right, we got This is to you as well as to you, Lisa. This is from Sean Simmons. Hey, what's up, Sean? Good evening. From the class of 1989 to the class of 1988, Will Smith is launching an eight-episode podcast in late October exploring the year of 1988 in hip-hop, and it will be called The Class of 1988. Oh, good name. Queen Latifah, Salt and Pepper, uh, DMC of Run DMC, DJ Jazzy Jeff, Rakim, and Chuck D are some of the artists scheduled to join him on the podcast that follows the respective rises of The Fresh Prince and Jazzy Jeff, Public Enemy, along with the um, flux of female MCs um, from that time period. Those are only some of the topics that are going to be explored. What are some things that you, Vincent, or you, Lisa, if you are a fan of hip hop, would be interested in seeing covered in the class of 1988? Besides everything that he talked about already, very personally, I I hope that they deal with the rise of native tongues. Okay. Because by 88, the Jungle Brothers were out. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe Pot, uh, uh, Three Feet High and Rising comes out in 88. If it doesn't come out in 88, Potholes in My Lawn, their first single was definitely out. Okay. Because I remember being in the dorm and my uh, friend Sean said, you should listen to this. Mm-hmm. And and certainly while um, I think People's Instinctive Travels and Paths of Rhythm, Tribe Called Quest's first album, comes out in 89. Mm-hmm. But Q-Tip is already around. Like, yeah, like he was on Black is Black with Jungle Brothers. He's on the Buddy. He's on Buddy. So, I, you know, I'm a native son, a native tongues dude. Right. So, like, that's the only thing I would add to that list. Okay. Because, you know, like, Talk to Q-Tip. Talk, I mean, talk to everybody. Well, I'm sure he's yeah. going to try and talk to everybody. Yeah. And Will Smith certainly has the access to talk to sure. everybody. So, sure. Um, are you a, are you a, a hip hop fan, Lisa? Well, I guess you guys are the kings of irony. I was raised by hip hop. What? Okay. In, 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 <laughs> in, in, in 1988, I am working at my first job in life. At 298 Elizabeth Street, the headquarters of Def Jam Records and Rush Artist Management. Nice. And I I originally started there working for Lior Cohen as his assistant mm-hmm. three, three months after he had joined the company. Uh, and then by 88, I started a company called Rush uh, Producers Management. I represented all of the great hip hop producers uh, who in between, you know, the the bomb squad producing Public Enemy, they were just, you know, waiting to do the next Public Enemy record. And I was like, no, I'm going to take you around to all the companies. I'm going to get you remixes, uh, publishing deals, uh, production deals. And maybe in 88, I'd have to check the uh, Bomb Squad could have been producing Ice Cube's first solo record. Yes, that's you're probably right around around that time. Yeah, it, it feels. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. and so um, I was knee deep uh, in working with these artists for a short time. 
um, Rush Artist Management represented Jazzy Jeff, Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Um, so I know those guys going back then. And, um, it, you know, what I would love, what I think is interesting in, in 1988 is the expansion from regional pockets Mm-hmm. to a global movement mm-hmm. yeah. that we could go and tour with these artists in Europe and they, the fans there could recite the lyrics backwards. That's how much, you know, they had absorbed the music uh, and the culture. Sometimes the fashion was a little off, you know, they were trying hard, mm-hmm. but um, you know, it was before the, the Carl Kanai, et cetera, spreading to uh, around the world. But I think it's such a, a great tipping point because in the years previous, the music was in pockets. Mm-hmm. There was a, you know, a college DJ in Maine who played the music at two in the morning. Mm-hmm. There was uh, an exotic car salesman in Houston who also promoted shows. There were these different people that at both the label and the management company we worked with. Um, and I think in 88, we are seeing what happened with the Adidas deal that Run DMC yep. did, yep. because that's when all these companies start to begin to realize the money that mm-hmm. is there. And the money is 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 not limited to one community, but they also realize that their kids are listening to these records and are and want to emulate these artists. So in, in 88, it's a time of expansion. I, I call it the great transition and the, the really upswing in the commercialization of the music and the culture. Yeah, I'm so happy that you pointed out Run DMC's deal with, with Adidas because I think people get lost in, you know, like, okay, yeah, they had the aesthetic with the sweatsuits. No, mm-hmm. Adidas had a whole line for them, man. Like, they had the the different sweatshirts, mm-hmm. like, almost like these, like, and they were they were beautifully embroidered so not, um, sweatshirts and sweaters. And I know, because I had every one of them. Mm-hmm. And they had, and they, and they had the, the, the sneaks, which had the cityscape on the side of them. Yeah. And Adidas really partnered with run dmc building them out there and i don't think people recognize what a turning point that deal was right right yeah so i'm I'm really excited you, you yeah. pointed that out yeah maybe I'm, will smith should talk to you he should give my number well, i was gonna say we'll get on that uh, no no i mean i think what is what is important and what i'm enjoying what you said is that he's talking to women because oftentimes when the story of hip hop is told, uh, the the women's voices are are kind of sidelined. Almost, and, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, as we know from the beginning, you know, in 73, when Cool Heart, Cool Herc through the party, uh, played at the party, his sister, Cindy Campbell, she threw the party. I was about to say, and, nice. and her so party. The foundation of hip hop is about men and women working together to further our voices mm-hmm. and also to have a commercial benefit from what we do. And um, in 88, I can point to not only myself, who basically kind of doing A&R from the outside, because it then led to me 
1990, going to Mercury Records as an A&R person, signing the Black Sheep, signing Ultramagnetic MCs, wow. you know, like doing like all of these deals with these hip hop artists. Uh, but there's also Sophia Chang. There's Faith Newman. Yeah. There's Ann Carly. There's Carmen Asher's. I mean, I could go on and on and on. So we are, you know, in this period, um, not only artists, the great artists like Latifah, Moni Love, but we're also executives and people mm-hmm. behind the scenes who are really doing all of this for the love of it. Mm-hmm. If, you know, I, I have no health insurance, you know, $200 a week, but you know, I can't trade the, the relationships made, the contact made, and my pride in this um, this very important voice, a new voice of rebellion. Because I think that as Black people, we are always finding ways to show our joy, but also our discontent. Now, sometimes it's coded how we yeah. do that. Yeah. Uh, but if we are, if that's been a part of our creative ethos for a very long time. Most definitely. Right. And I would be remiss sitting here in Philadelphia if we didn't also show love, if not necessarily 88, but for another woman who was very big in mm-hmm. getting hip hop, it's it's the platform that it deserves. And that would be That's right. The great lady Lady B. Lady, lady, lady B. B. That's right. Yes, yes. That's right. Right. All day. All day, air day. Okay. <laughs> we, we got one more email. <laughs> This is from Michael Sykes, Vincent. Hey, what's up, Michael? Watching us um, in real time, but mm-hmm. reviewing our, listening to our show. Right. Michael is going through the archives, reviewing episodes. So it's a real Black Mirror thing going on. And he has made his way to one of your favorites, Vincent. Okay. The Monkey Hustle. The Monkey Hustle. That's right. From 1976. That's right. Hello, Len and Vincent. I mm-hmm. listened to y'all podcast about the 1976 movie Monkey Hustle. Yes. Starring Yafik Koto mm-hmm. and Rudy Ray Moore. Yes. A.K.A. Dolomite. Yes. This movie is a monkey hustle. All right. It hustled me out of an hour and 30 minutes that I can never get back. Y'all compare Monkey Hustle to the 1976 TV show What's Happening. Yes. Saying the episodes have no plot and nothing really serious happened throughout the series, which is true. The stakes are low. But... The episodes were funny and left a great impression on me, like when Rerun uh, tries out for the Rockets, a.k.a. the Lockers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or when Raj's mom got fired from her job because her boss accused her of stealing uh, her ring when all along it was her husband. Yeah. Yeah. What's happening always left a great taste, Mm -hmm. whereas the monkey hustle left no taste nor smell. It didn't make me laugh at all. Mm -hmm. I can make myself laugh in a dark room with nothing or nobody in it blindfolded thinking of jokes. I don't know. It's a lot of information. I don't know who's the worst runner in, in movie history. Yafit Koto or Steven Seagal. Okay. Yafit Koto is a great actor. I loved him in a hundred across 110th street mm-hmm. live and let die mm-hmm. blue collar out of sync mm-hmm. um, which also starred ll cool j mm-hmm. um i have and will stand up for movies y'all don't like including above the rim ghost dad and who's the man i actually like ghost dad that was you mm. but this i won't mm-hmm. i agree with y'all this movie is horrible it does nothing and goes nowhere and the theme song is bleeding in my ears mm-hmm. 
signed Michael Sykes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's it's what he has to say mm-hmm. of the monkey hustle. Right. Here's the thing, though. Rudy Ray Moore plays a character that's not Dolomite, but his whole deal is he dresses in gold all the time. Yes. And his name is Goldie. Yes. I think that in and of itself. That's the best you could. That's, that's, that's the best. That's the best you could do. The movie. Lisa, have you ever seen The Monkey Hustle? No, but okay. I really thank your your listener for giving, giving me the warning to stay very far away and to save my time. You, you can skip it. You can skip it. You didn't mention Rosalind I think there, there might be a connection to Durville. Is there a connection? Monkey Hustle, Durville, Brock Peters? Well, well, Derville Martin is in Dolomite with Rudy Ray Moore, so it okay. it, it, it gets him imme- right. It immediately gets the monkey to the monkey hustle. Is Lisa trying to play Six Degrees of Derville? It Martin? sounds like she might be trying to play Six Degrees of Derville <laughs> Martin. I know. I I don't think I could do it. I I'm I'm more of a Brock Peters kind of girl, or 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 an Ivan Dixon. You know. Okay. That's that's more that's more my jam. Right now, you can get to Brock Peters. Oh boy, because um. Rudy Ray Moore is, I mean, um, Derville Martin is in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner with Sidney Portier. And then Sidney Portier is, of course, in Porgy and Bess with Brock Peters. And Brock Peters in um Sidney Portier is in also is also in A Raisin in the Sun with Ivan Dixon. So that's how you get to them real fast. All right. Well, we had an impromptu six impromptu degrees, six degrees. Of Derville Martin brought to you by Lisa Cortez, ladies yes. and gentlemen. Yes. <laughs> Are you not entertained? Yes. Black Star Signature Podcast, Many Lumens, hosted by me, Maori Carmel Holmes, is back with all new episodes featuring groundbreaking artists, change makers, and cultural workers. Join us as we find meaning in the intersections of art, social change, and popular culture. Subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast or at manylumens.com. Um, before we get talking about Little Richard, I do have to touch on something that came up on the show last week mm-hmm. and has been burning the ear the airwaves of the internet ever since. Last week on the show, <laughs> Lisa, um, I learned that you should not give a newborn baby honey. To eat. It's one of these things, along with shrimp and I think something else. Right. That you're not supposed to give a baby honey to eat. Vincent informed me of this. Um, My children are younger than Lynn's. So so in Lynn's defense, he hasn't been around children as recently as I have. Right. My daughter's 30 years old. Right. So, um, but however, that little snippet of conversation was our... Michelle Mission Shorty that went out on social media. And I think it went out on a 10 o'clock, 10 Mm a.m. on like that Tuesday or Wednesday. Mm -hmm. By 10, 15, it had had 1,500 views. Yeah. And more than enough comments saying, well, first of all, people telling me that, no, yes, you can't give honey to a baby because of the bacteria. Right, botulism. Botulism. Yeah. Um, then also men 
Why don't y'all just look it up on Google? Right, right, right. right. Then they were coming at your neck because... Because even though you know that you're not supposed to give honey to a baby... Yes. You couldn't explain why you couldn't give honey to a baby. Why why do I need to explain why? The pediatrician says, don't give the baby honey. You don't get a baby honey. Like, what? Like, is this a hill? Apparently. To fight about? The the people were fighting. Like, I want to get a baby honey. Why do you want to get a baby honey? And I'm saying a pediatrician. A pediatrician told me, my cousin is a neonatal nurse. She's a baby nurse. She yelled at me about this. Really? About me not not knowing about the botulism and not knowing exactly why. And, and she yelled at me about that. She's yelled at me. Don't even get me started about grapes. Grapes. Oh, you got to cut grapes in half for the baby, for the, for, for children, surprisingly old, you're supposed to cut grapes in half because they, they can get stuck. That depends on the size of the grape. You know what? Don't play with grapes. That depends on it the is, size. Of, look at Lisa's face. She like, I, honey, She's killed babies and batteries. You got to lock up the batteries. Well, okay. Because the kid is swallowing. And my cousin has horrible stories, like terrible stories that she tells. And then at the end, I say like, but the baby got better, right? And then it's just quiet in the room. What the hell is happening here? I'm saying so no, I don't ask no questions. I think this PSA. Yes. I think this PSA is very important. Yes. Batteries, honey, and grapes. You got to cut grapes in half for a surprising. My joke is I'm going to cut my my son's grapes in half until he gets married. And then his wife's going to do it. <laughs> He's going to expect his wife. To He's going to do it. Right, right, right. <laughs> we should probably think about that. Yeah. In my country. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. So, so thank you, ladies and gentlemen, who infants don't get honey because of botulism. Yes. There you go. So don't do it. So don't do it. Cut the grapes in half because they get stuck. And lock up your batteries. And lock up your batteries because children swallow batteries and bad things happen. When the batteries start to dissolve and it's hard to get to them. Right. So there you go. All right. All right. Let's get into it. Let's, let's get go. into let's go. Little Richard. I am everything. We'll be back with the film review as soon as we do something funky and have steps in it. Just like a shot out of a cannon. His voice? My God, who is that? He created the rock and roll icon. Sorry, y'all. It wasn't Elvis. I am the king of rock and roll! The first songs that you love that your parents hate is the beginning of the soundtrack of your life. Little Richard's lyrics were too lewd to get airplay on the radio. They was not that dirty. They were just as clean as you were. The South is the home of all things queer. They called him a sissy, a punk. I was not supposed to be the hero for their kids. Little Richard has an incredible string of hits. And so what they did was they said, we're going to put the white bucks on it. Got a cow, an ape suit. Oh, just what to do. 
the legacy of Little Richard is complex. Did you know that Elvis Presley and Pat Boone sold more of Tutti Frutti than I did? Little Richard was renouncing his queerness. He didn't want to burn in hell. That's the way we were taught. He was very, very good at liberating other people. He was not good at liberating himself. Little Richard gave the world permission to be. Ready, set, go, man, go! Ball, walk a dog, red ball, head, Sally. He saw Mary coming and he ducked back in the alley. Michael was inspired by me. Prince James Brown, I discovered him. Jimi Hendrix was my guitar player. I used to stand on the desk and do Little Richard. I love you, Paul. Hello, Linda. Everyone was beholden to him. He spit on every rule there was in music. I was unpredictable. They didn't know what I was going to do. Now you got it, God damn it. Show it to the world. Lil Richard, I am everything. The one of a kind rock and roll icon who shaped the world of music. A new documentary that is debuting in 2023 that tells the story of Little Richard, the rock and roll legend from the 50s until his, his final days and puts him in the true context with not only music history, but world history mm-hmm. and cultural history mm-hmm. as well. And joining us tonight, ladies and gentlemen, to talk about this monumental uh, documentary as we close out September's Doc to School, look at Black documentaries. It is none other than the producer and director of that film, Lisa Cortez. Lisa, I'm going to start with uh, my question and then I'm going to let Vince go at it. Um. Again, thank you for joining us. How is it that you came to um, wanting to create or or document the life of Little Richard in this uh, in this way? Little Richard uh, passed away uh, during the pandemic. Yeah, twenty twenty. I yeah. don't know about you guys, but for me, about the spring of twenty twenty. I don't know about you guys, but for me, it was a time of, you know, staying inside the house, eating chips and onion dip and having too many cocktails mm-hmm. and, and, and uh, in my hands all the time, you know, so it's not, not a good space. And um, I was actually finishing a film uh, uh, all in the fight for democracy that I did with Liz Garvis and um, Stacey, Stacey Abrams. And um, we were trying, we were just moving ahead to get that film done, to get it out before the election. Um, but I would take some downtime and I was looking at social media and I see all these people talking about what little Richard meant to them. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, from Bob Dylan to Dave Grohl, Elton John. And I was like, oh, let me find a doc. I want to learn, you know, I want to learn more you know, what lies beyond Tutti Frutti? And um, I discovered that there wasn't anything. And um, the more I spent time looking at his story and when he comes on the scene and 
how he kind of broke so many musical and cultural norms uh, as a filmmaker, I realized that there was nothing little about Little Richard and that talking and exploring his journey allowed me to not only look at music history, um, systemic racism, um, what it means to be transgressive, mm-hmm. and um, the ripple effect of what he started and what we see now in so many artists but are unaware that they are carrying Richard's DNA. Yeah, I, th- I think... Um... You know, we joked a little bit about it's not going to be that much of of what we would usually do with a review, because I just I just thought this was an extraordinary documentary, frankly. And and my review would just be kind of listing all of the things that I thought this did well. And and I think from the very beginning, I appreciated I think what I put in my notes more than any other word was situate the way you situate little Richard in this conversation. I I think you, you kind of spoke to it a little bit about there, there wasn't a a real documentary about him. And, and we talk about little Richard, people kind of know the name and I'll just say personally, as, as someone who fashions himself a music fan, when I thought about little Richard, I have like two little Richards in my head. You have the, the the images from the 50s where you would see him in movies, you know, rock around the clock and, you know, the girl can't help it as as you cite in the film. And it's old footage of him, but it's on film. And then you have the little Richard of, frankly, my childhood where he's an older man. And and I think. He's almost it, it's you almost kind of dismiss him as campy. Like you like the music, you appreciate the music, you acknowledge the music, but you, you know, it's like, it's little Richard doing the little Richard stuff on Arsenio hall and stuff. And I was struck immediately by the footage of him in the sixties and in the early seventies, the, 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 the concert, the concert footage, the concert footage. And he's so vital and he's so strong and he's so frankly sexual and there's the perspiration and, 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 you know, his hair is kind of out of because he's performing and it struck me just how transgressive he was from the first moments of the documentary and you, you know, we, we were joking either last week or the week before last about like Andy Williams, you know, and joking about white people in the fifties getting kind of upset about these. And, you know, we all kind of roll our eyes, but the footage showed like he actually was by definition transgressive. Like this is a little dangerous. Like this is actually doing what this art is supposed to do. And, and I guess, you know, my question, obviously it was deliberate, but how did you like, like, how did you come to basically this, is how we're going to start this thing? Well, in making a documentary, I think the beginning of your film is something that you actually 
have multiple begins. And then after you have fleshed out the entire film, you come back and you tweak your beginning a lot. Mm -hmm. So we knew the basics that in the beginning, we wanted to have our cold open and set up our thesis. But I think it was through spending time with the interviews that were then done and the archival footage that we were able to tweak the beginning to not only um, illustrate how unique and different he was, but how special as a mentor he was to everyone from the Beatles to the Rolling Stone, uh, Billy Preston, Jimi Hendrix, James Brown, and that you then realize that this man who had been on talk shows telling people to shut up, telling people, you know, oh, where's my Grammy, that there is actually something, there's, there's, an, there's a churn of anger, mm -hmm. there is a legitimate desire to be recognized, there's a need to be compensated. And so that all of this is cre is underneath that campy figure that you talked about seeing on TV, and it's it's justified. Um, you know, one I think one of the great breakthroughs I was talking to the editors, the Nev, and Jake uh, about the beginning in the very early days, and I said, you know, I think he is otherworldly. It's almost like he's arrived from another place he and he is bringing this energy and magic and then we talked about well how do we show that how do we illustrate that and that's how we set up the film at the beginning with this explosion mm -hmm. and then it gets really quiet and then we see the cosmos and everything goes away because we're establishing that he is like the big bang mm -hmm. of rock and roll and then there is nothing that follows him for some time. But we set up this motif of the particles, yeah. the particles yeah. that, that that he had, is activating on Earth. And at certain moments in his life, they, they really start to grow and become more energized as he is kind of connecting, you know, with 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 body and spirit. And, and this mission to deliver the gospel, because that's what he's delivering. Mm -hmm. He is delivering the gospel yeah. of rock and roll. He is yeah. giving you church. He is engaging in call and response. Uh, I think some of what he is doing is akin to speaking in tongues. Mm -hmm. um, and, but it is performative. It is musical. And certainly it is laced with a lot of sexual innuendo that, um, you know, you would not find delivered by your neighborhood minister. Oh, most certainly. Most certainly. I'm, I'm curious because the one thing that, that hit me, um, I, there's a few things that hit me in regards to the documentary. And I love the documentary every bit as much as, as Vincent did. But the one thing that hit me was how... Um, open he was, or at least seemed to have been, about his sexuality through all throughout his life. It wasn't a matter of just once he became, you know, quote unquote, little Richard. 
and de- de- developed this persona. He was already engaging in developing personas all all along, you know, from doing um, performing in drag at one time early on in his career to um, but even before that, you know, he was already mess- playing around with like makeup and his hair. And it's like I, th- I actually found it very. Um, uh, um, I guess not inspiring is, is is not the right word, but just a little like like I all right, Rich, I'm I'm here for you. Th- that he seemed to immediately embrace who he was sexually as a gay man right from the at a very young age to the detriment in regards to his. Um, his relationship with his with his family, though, and and that's what seems to come across in that documentary. Did you find that to actually be the case? Uh, you know, a great source material uh, for the documentary and framing principle is Richard's words. We at the beginning of the project did a very big sweep to make certain that we could ha- find his voice. Mm-hmm. to narrate the telling of his story. I I completely believe in the importance of giving agency to your subject. Yeah. And from the beginning, Richard tells you, you know, I, I, he wanted to take his mother's curtains down and wear them as, as a dress, which of course made me think about the famous Carol Burnett skit <laughs> where she, she's mocking, you know, uh, Gone with the Wind. And right. Yes, she's right. wearing with the curtain, curtain, rod. curtain rods. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, I wonder how Richard styled his curtains. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Richard tells us, hey, uh, from an early age, this is what I was drawn to, but I'm equally drawn to the church. Mm-hmm. I, I, and, and so we set up in the beginning of the film the great struggle. Yeah, that yeah. is going to occupy him for the bulk of his life, a struggle that is not specific to him. You know, I think we all know many people mm-hmm. who have found it difficult to balance what they believe is doctrine versus what they believe is is carnal. Mm-hmm. I, I think the the religious aspect of this this documentary is, is, you know, as you said, it's not this religious struggle is not unique. But but to um, R and B singers, soul singers, and and but but certainly his sexuality complicates his journey. And I thought it was so gripping watching how he kind of dealt with it as the years went by. And I love the fact that it, it didn't really have a nice neat ending like like there is no real bow on how he kind of dealt with that you know one of the most striking moments for me in the documentary was the footage of him from it looks like a few years ago and he doesn't have a wig on and he doesn't have the makeup on and he's on it looks like he's on a televangelist and he just looks like an old like he looks like an old man and he still grappling with it and i love that your storytelling leaves it for us to kind of make our own peace with it and you know you know again it does it's not like this nice neat package so i i I guess 
How did how did how do you work through that with him and this religion? I think of an interesting turning point. Well, I think first of all, understanding that people are beautifully human, mm-hmm. and that the journey is is never a straight line. You know, it's got yeah. hills, valleys, twists, and turns. And you know, Richard is. His journey is even more dramatic because it's this roller coaster mm-hmm. of renunciation of one lifestyle and then embracing the complete opposite. And, you know, that dynamic of him going back and forth is so interesting to to chart because there it's accompanied by different musics. Yeah. So, you know, he, he leaves and uh, in the late 50s. And he does this the King of Gospel Singers record, which is so beautiful. But then he swings to the other side and goes to England and jumps off of balconies and turns people out, including, you know, these seminal rock bands like the, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. Um, you know, it's the uh, I think. There was a time when uh, we were almost through with the film and I was contacted by his former wife, Miss Ernestine. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, I said, Miss Ernestine, we, we've been trying to find you. Um, and it's so lovely to speak to you. Um, I, but at that point, we were fin- literally finishing the film. We had no money to go and interview her. And she said, I, I don't want to be on camera. But there are some things that were important to Richard that I want to have the opportunity to say. So that's why we hear her voice in the film. And she's there at two points. One, to talk about their marriage and what they shared. Yeah. Uh, but she also, we hear her at the end of the film. To, to share that, like, at the end of the day, he loved God, but he loved everybody. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that sometimes... We do not recognize what it was like for someone born in the 1930s versus kind of the privilege that we were born into mm-hmm. because so much progress has been made on many different levels. Mostly we know the story of of the sacrifices made with the civil rights movement. But I would like to argue that there's also a sacrifice that Richard made of living his life out loud at times presenting certain ways of, of, of how to be in the world with makeup and, and a, a, a more, you know, feminine slant for a man. Mm-hmm. Um, and, or, and to really, and to blur the gender lines. Cause I think it goes bigger than male, female, but it's like, let's blur the lines. And there is something to be said about that braveness, about the, that revolutionary act and what it means for freedom for for everybody um and and loving people not maybe not having the vocabulary and i don't mean vocabulary in world but the emotional vocabulary Mm -hmm. to encompass this this recognition of all of the selves that you encompass but just showing it Mm -hmm. and by the mere act of doing that i think he gave permission for so many other people who were not musicians, but were people who were looking for other ways of, of gender identity. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It it you you just mentioned um that that tour after his religious break where he took England by storm. And this is the moment where 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 the Rolling Stones and the Beatles sort of come in contact with him. And and there there there's contemporary interviews with Mick Jagger. And then you have this you, you know, you have Paul McCartney talking and then you have you you know there's so many there's so many moments in this documentary i was telling lynn where i said they could have stopped here and talked for 45 minutes about this like you have that moment where now rogers talks about his conversation with david bowie and david bowie talks about you know i want to do something like little richard and i i love the contrast of these three iconic rock stars being so transparent about what little Richard meant with them, meant to them with the reticence and the outright, you know, pardon the pun whitewashing that American rock and roll did with him so that you kind of had these dual narratives of these people. And I did say, you you know, I, I wonder what their, how their Englishness informs them being more open to saying, oh yeah, we're just straight copying Richard. Hmm. Well, I can say for Mick Jagger and Tom Jones and even Niall's recounting of his conversations with Bowie, that they idolized him. That's that's I think what we what got lost in translation for so many people yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. was how venerated he was to these artists. I mean, um, rock and roll by Led Zeppelin, the beginning of the drum roll is literally the drums from uh, "Keep a Knocking." Like we talk about, you know, when we sample how we're playing homage to, you know, the spinners or whoever, or Coltrane, if we're sampling them. Um, Well, these rock artists were also playing homage, Mm -hmm. but you had to know how to follow the breadcrumbs Mm -hmm. to to realize what they were doing. Because, you know, just like when you're sampling, you don't go, well, the first four bars are Coltrane, and then I'm mixing in a little bit of, you know, um bud powell like no you make it your own thing Mm -hmm. um and uh but i think for anyone who is a student of music you start to go but wait where's the vibe coming from you bring your own but there's also this other vibe that you are leaning into for support that that elevates and and makes this really special i want i i was left watching this wondering there is no mistake at least to me maybe there's mm-hmm. an argument to you to you bigger hip hop heads the the two of you there's no mistaking to me that as big an artist as James Brown was in his super heyday and remained throughout his career right that the the, the anointing of James Brown um, was made because of hip hop, 
and its repackaging of his music and really pre- pre- presenting it in a different mm-hmm. light out there. Right, to and, a new generation. Right. Yeah. And that's when James Brown becomes like really the godfather of soul to me in my eyes, right? I wonder how much, despite his pronouncements, as much as Little Richard, you know, would definitely shout from the mountaintops of, you know, who he was in the pantheon of music, right? There is certainly a point where maybe because of the way he appears and the way he talks and everything like that, it becomes a little bit more performative, almost a little campy in his later later um, years. But I wonder how much of it is because his true heyday musically is the 50s, which is music that is not sampled as much Mm. outside of maybe um, rockers who maybe will steal a lick or a drum lick. And it kind of likes gets more hidden in the mix than a, a straight sample. Because that music is not is not sample, he he doesn't he doesn't have the benefit of that resurgence, that recontextualizing that James Brown and and then other artists in the '60s and then '70s had. Because I'm also reminded about um, about uh, Minnie Ripperton and mm-hmm. how much and how much you know. Uh, um, Q-tip is is celebrated for bringing her memory back, sure. you know? So I'm wondering if that also is is kind of like, is the reason why he wasn't as celebrated because it wasn't just the world that wasn't celebrating him like that. To be fair, at least as far as I can tell, we weren't really celebrating him for the accomplishments that he had either musically. I think it's 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 a really good point. I, I thought it's also someone like Brenda Russell, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, uh, who has been sampled so much. Um, people, you know, it, they as they say, fame is 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 flitting, and you know, he had his moment. And in speaking with Ramon Hervey, who was his, uh, his publicist, man- yeah, I, I, and and actually manager, excuse me. Um, you know, he was really trying to give him to put more wind in his sails, but Richard, you know, was also not his best advocate at times. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think Richard, you know, what I understand is that when in trying to manage him, he wanted to do things the old school way, Mm. uh, not understanding how the business had changed. Um, and that, it is it's hard to you know to move from the paleolithic period to the mesozoic era era you know <laughs> you got different you got different skills from from one era to the other and adaptation for everybody is is very challenging to go from one modality of being on top of the world having hits 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 uh you know people losing their minds for you and being you know one of many artists on an oldies review show Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's funny. Just a, a bit of Michelle Mission history. A, a couple of years ago, we reviewed Cadillac Records, and and you know Chuck Chuck Berry was such a part of the Chess Records story and and of that film. And I went on a deep dive afterwards into Chuck Berry, 
And Chuck Berry, you know, kept making records. I know. And so, so like I went through this period, I was listening to all these seventies records, records from the seventies that Chuck Berry made. And I dipped my toe in and I thought about it today. Little Richard has a couple of really interesting albums in like 71. I think one of them is actually called the King of rock and roll. And it it's it, it is you know kind of like you said you get the sense that he almost won't keep like like just keep going like keep doing this but it, it's almost like he gets pigeonholed into this oldie slot like like there's this wonderful moment where one of the scholars says it's almost a mixed blessing being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because on the one hand yes it is acknowledgement but on the other hand it's like them saying okay you're done yeah and it's like he still had all this in him but but you know we just want this old stuff yeah yeah same I was just smiling when you said he did different records because he also does the children's records too. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yes. That's very true. That is very true. It's, it's, it's interesting because unlike a lot of performers of the, of his time, um, I mean, not unlike a lot of performers of his time, Richard definitely has his, his run in with drugs. Right. Um, and it's touched on in the documentary. Um, but usually what happens in the, it, when we see these stories mm-hmm. is that not only does it become like this destructive force in their lives, but it also starts to seed its way into how they deal with the other people in their lives. Mm-hmm. Right. And you see people kind of like talking about it. And I was it, it was interesting that in this one where the documentary does not shy away from it, but you get the sense that one, he then kind of like leans on his faith, or at least that is the implication that he leans on his faith to kind of pull himself out of it. But there's never really a point in this documentary where the people who seem the closest to him and, and compliments to you, because not only do you touch on people who were important to his life professionally, but also personally mm-hmm. um, from people that he grew up with to neighbors that he grew up with to people that he, that just friends that he made al- along the way um, in and out of showbiz. But none of them ha- have like that moment where the worm turned right. with Little Richard. They always, he was always trying to present the best that he could of himself to them. Right. At least that's the way that it came off to me. And and I actually appreciated that because that is really a window behind the the flamboyance behind the makeup behind the hair and and the pomp and circumstance that's a uh, a look at the actual man himself and mm-hmm. i appreciated that from the documentary i think it, you know it's all i'm always interested in the interiority of the characters that i'm looking at mm-hmm. you know we all come with a lot of ideas about richard based on whether we know his music his television appearances or seeing him on film. But 
what I wanted to look at is what are the circumstances that form this person? Mm. What is the internal conflict? What does it mean to be so otherworldly, introducing something with so much force and vitality that has never been seen before and that that lights imaginations and and young people, it sets them aflame. Mm-hmm. Like that is a lot to carry. And I think that what we see in the film is yes, the great performances, the funny appearances, but we also hear his ruminations on where he is on his life journey at different times and the questions that he is is trying to balance. And that's when the 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 friends and family are very helpful in telling the story uh and also our scholars some of them knew richard some of them didn't but you know they are all black people some of them are queer and and i think that they are bringing their uh learned experience with their school training to help us as a viewer understand in 2023, what it was like in 1955 mm-hmm. to be stepping out into the world so ab- unapo- so loudly, so una- unapologetically unique, because we sometimes forget the the slow road of progress, um, but because we live in a time where we certainly have more freedoms than our parents or grandparents. And and really, Richard is, you know, I think from the generation of, you know, our, 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 our parents um, who we know from growing up told us to be leery of so many things mm-hmm. based on the the racism and terror that they experienced. So. Um, you know, there's been a little bit of a, a mind wash for us and the younger people who follow us to not understand how rigid things were, uh, how dangerous. Yet at the same time, this is what I love about America. Like, you know, when it comes to this um, gender nonconformity, Richard's not the first. That's true. You know, uh, there's the artists we talk about in the film before him. And we know historically there's, you know, evidence documented of drag balls in the late 1800s in Washington, Mm D.C. William Swan was uh, arrested for dressing as a woman in, I think, 1888, uh, which underlies something that I want, I am hoping audiences leave with that. Americans are not as conservative as we've been led to believe. Um, There have always been outliers. Um, Now, have we told their stories with fullness? No. No. And I think Richard allowed a great vantage point to look at the uniqueness of his journey and his contributions, but also this interesting lineage uh, that he comes from. Yeah, yeah, you, we, you, we were talking about um, these elements that make Little Richard, like you know, that form this man. And you know, once again, one of the one of the things that I love so much about the documentary is almost the unapologetic blackness 
of where he comes from. You know, we talked about this queer tradition, but but, you know, this is a black queer tradition with Billy Wright and Eska. I always mispronounce his name, Eska. Escarita. 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 Um, and you know, and you really, you know, the documentary really just goes down the line. Like it's not just, oh, it's a black church tradition. It you name check Claire, the Clara Ward singers, Sister Rosetta Thorpe. Mm-hmm. You know, you have Louis Jordan in here, and 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 you know, that's always been my little thing, like that kind of alchemy that happens between jump blues and rock and roll that no one ever really mentions. Like I love the images of little Richard with all the saxophones, which is, you know, that's all jump blues. Um, the Ike Turner part about the progressive, the, yeah. the percussive piano playing in rock and, you know, 88. and rock 88. And I just loved how it connects him to this tradition and to this heritage that that he is ours and 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 he comes from this and and you know certainly that the 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 gumbo that is little richard is is he goes without saying super unique but i love how there's this acknowledgement of where these ingredients come from well well aren't we all cousins right amen <laughs> you know hey cuz but and and each cousin is 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 coming with their pod, but there there is this overlap, you know, um, and it's a part of the continuum. Um, and when it comes to the story of black people in rock and roll, I think uh, the story that you know we're most familiar with is Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's so ironic that. Jimi Hendrix was his, was in Richard's band, and then you know something they had a falling out. But that this man really is he oh he owns what he is claiming. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not he's not on a rant. He is an important part of the the structural integrity of this genre. Yes, there was Bo Diddley. Yes, there, you know, it, it, there, there's never a sole architect. There are right. many when you are building, you know, this, but his his claim is is very justified. And this show, this film is about the receipts. There it is. There you go. There you go. It's, it's interesting the way you just layered that. Again, I, I all roads lead back to run DMC for me. Right, like, right, right, right. Like, because <laughs> like, like, the way you layer that with Bo Diddley and, and Fats Domino, who were definitely, and, and others, are definitely like that 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 architects of, of rock and roll, right? But then with Little Richard, who takes a little bit of, of, of everything, of everything that comes before him, and then mixes it with his own style, what he's bringing to it, and then from there, that is kind of like that 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 final building block from which everything else springs forth. Because you talk about how you know from from Little Richard, like from the beginning of the documentary, the what what feels like found footage of him in concert, like and Vincent, you're talking about how how virile and strong he looks in this. If you if you 
squint your eyes, you swear you're looking at prints. But it's it's it it's it, it, it's 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 little Richard. And can I just say, as a style thing, I'm gonna speak as a spades player. I love how you held the big Joker of Prince until the very end. Like Lynn said, it's clearly Prince. <laughs> and like the whole documentary, it's like, oh, and he, you know, and, and he inspired all these people and all these people. And you're waiting for Prince to show up mm-hmm. because clearly there's a straight line. But it's like it's like looking for that big Joker. Like you're playing, you're playing who's got the Joker. Who's and, and then when you hit it at the end where it's just that beautiful montage of all of these singers. I have to say, I have to say in full disclosure, I always was a little, I didn't really like all that architect talk because it seemed to me like this was trying to sidestep a straight challenge to Elvis as the king. Like, oh, I'm the architect. But damn, if this documentary doesn't make the case for it, like he built it. Like, and that montage at the end where, you know, you just keep seeing image after image after image after image of singer and entertainer. And you are, you're like, damn, that's just Lil Richard. Yep. It's just Lil Richard again. It, like he really was the architect. Yeah. 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 When you look at the schematics of a building, you know, they slice it in half and you got your lower basement, your basement, your lobby, level two, blah, blah, blah. You know, you cannot deny with how this film lays out his story adjacent to that of the growth of rock and roll, that on the ground floor is Richard, you know. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's, he's put his hands in the wet cement. I would say in, in the, you know, Maybe the basement is belongs to Sister Rosetta mm-hmm. uh, and, and Escarita, but definitely the ground floor where you enter where your entry point, you look down and you will see, you know, his hands there, his impression, his touch. And it's a touch that is not a light one. It is, it is so deep, it is so visceral, it is so moving, it is so rebellious, it is so spiritual. It, it is holding so much um, because he did. And he really showed the breadth of his um, reach through his music. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Wait, am, I drop, that, am I dropping the mic now? I feel like that's my mic drop. That's your mic drop. <laughs> look. That's your mic drop. Look. 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 <laughs> that, you did it. You did it. You t- you killed it. You killed it, ladies and gentlemen. Look, um, the question is: Would we recommend Little Richard? I am everything. Look, not only would we recommend it, we're look. We're going to do something that we never do. It is on Hulu. It is on Apple. It is. I believe you can get to it on Prime. I think Hulu. You can get to it if you like. If you had a rich people Hulu. Without the commercials, I, I, right, right, right. I, is that where you watched it? You got the rich people Hulu. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This. 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 This is a definitive statement. 
or yeah. a definitive icon. Yeah, absolutely. It, it absolutely it is. It is, a, it is a great documentary. Learn the story of Lil Richard. And we're going to have to have Lisa back on just to talk about the craft of making a documentary, because the way she she kind of like talks about how she like interspersed, you know, like explosions and particles and and and, and overlays them on the on the image. And and then she talks about uh, little Richard is like this rocket ship and you see this meteorite flying to earth. I mean, like it is fantastic imagery in this, in this documentary. And then she brings in contemporary singers to, to, to play out actual moments from his, from oh his career. Goodness. I'm like, yo, we can just like, like her assistant is, is like screaming at us. Like she gotta go to the bathroom. Like, no, we gotta, we gotta, <laughs> let, we gotta let Lisa go. But Lisa, thank you so, thank so you very so much. much. Thank you. I, I could talk with you all forever. I look forward to returning. And, and also the film can be found on CNN On Demand. Okay, uh, CNN On Demand. It's available there now. And in November, it will um, uh, move to Max, which will be the, the final home for to find the film. Perfect. Thank, thank you for your good works. Keep the honey, the batteries. <laughs> And and the grapes, the the full grapes, right. away from your children. Keep it away now. And Lisa, we'll have to have you back on, and next time we'll just let you select your very a black movie of your own choice, and we we'll just sit here movie. and review it. Yes. Okay. Okay, it's gonna be fun. It's I think it's between The Wiz and Black Orpheus. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Black Orpheus is the winner. <laughs> okay. Okay. Thank you so much. And thank you to everybody who's tuned in. Um, and continue to subscribe to their their um Michelle mission because you're gonna have uh great people, conversations, you're gonna learn a lot, and um you guys are such a value add to the world. So thank you. Oh, thank you oh, thank so you. much. Thank you. Yes. All right. We'll let you go. Yes. Good night. Bye-bye. Good night. Good night. Uh, that was great. That was Thank great. you guys so much, really. That was the You're welcome, Molly. Yes. <laughs> Molly, making her making herself known here look, on the show, man, ladies and gentlemen. Look, I say, look, we could got some wings. What? Come on. For all day. Mm-hmm. All right, ladies and gentlemen, before we tell you what is going to be happening next month here on the Michelle Mission, I invite you to please send your feedback. Let us hear it. Bring it on. Email us at themichellemission at gmail.com. That's M-I-C-H-E-A-U-X-M-I-S-S-I-O-N at gmail.com. Like and follow the Michelle Mission on all the social media of your choice, whether it be Instagram, whether it be Facebook, whether it be Twitter, you can find us at Me Show Mission. You can also follow us on YouTube where you can like and subscribe and hit the bell so you can be notified when we put up new videos, new shorties. Um, I saw Dylan making time marks over there like crazy. I think we may have a, a record number of shorties coming out of this interview. Oh, great. Um, uh, so so definitely check us out. The Michelle Mission streams every Tuesday night live here from Young Junk, Philadelphia's premier video podcast palace. Go to the 
videocontentfactory.com and check out how you can book your time in one of the fabulous studios that they have here in in the uh, palace, but not this one because this is ours. It is branded as so. All right. And the Michelle Mission is also a proud member of the Podglomerate, thepodglomerate.com. They make podcasts work. All right. Next week is October. Yes, sir. And that means it is Boo-tober. <laughs> As we do a month-long look at black horror movies. Did you all have a host in Philly? Did you all have like a host? Dr. Shock. Dr. Shock. Yes. He was on when you were a kid? Or yes, or yes. Like when did he go off the air, do you think? Probably actually maybe I may have been around 15, 16 when right. So this is like in the eighties and yeah, yeah, seventies, eighties. Doctor Shock. Yeah, yeah. We had the count. The count. We had the count on one channel, and then we had Ghost Host on the other station. Ghost Host. Ghost Host. He was actually disembodied. It was just a voice. So it was just a voice. It was okay. just a voice. Ghost Host. But then the count was um was was a, a was a was a personality on the station. Okay. During the week. And then he actually dressed up like Count Dracula. Oh, well, Dr. Shock, he more or less, he, he wasn't like a vampire, but mm-hmm. he just looked like a mad scientist. Yeah. But he had, but he had like kind of like a tuxedo on. So it wasn't really, a, if I remember, yeah. maybe a suit. But yeah, we had Dr. Shock on, on Channel 17. I miss the host. I do too. I miss the host. And th- I, I miss there's the whole... some of them that are still out there. Yeah. Because um, I think there's one, there's somebody, I can't remember the name, so I don't was named him on me TV. Yeah, there is. There yeah, is. Yeah. And it's kind of for our younger missionaries back in the day when you, you know, you didn't have a VCR, you didn't have a DVD player, you couldn't stream things. Genre films were shown usually on the weekend. Yep. Like, like yep. In, Saturday in, afternoon, Saturday afternoon, uh, or at night at oh, night. Yes. Yes. Cause, yes, cause yes, it was yes. Saturday night in uh, Baltimore and there would be a host and he would dress up and, and kind of host it. And it was part of the whole yes. experience. Yeah. Like yeah. he'd be like, like in some kind of like, like, like haunted house. Right. So when Lynn did the something. voice just now, he reminded, you actually reminded me of ghost host. Oh, should we become dressed as host for Bootober? Yeah. No. Yeah, I did think. Yeah, that. you know. <laughs> I know you know. I know. You just, you just. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I will. Hey, man. Do you. <laughs> One of us is. Right. He ain't. No. But next week, ladies and gentlemen, it will be Bootober. Mm-hmm. It will be a month of horror movies kicking off. And we're going to start with a a a, a different kind of horror movie. Because yeah. it, it deals with vampires. But in a different kind of way. Yes. And it's called the transfigur- Transfiguration. 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 Yeah. Oh, yeah. From 2016. Mm-hmm. Next week, here on the Michelle Mission. This is Vincent's selection. Yes. I'm really interested in this movie. Yeah, so am I. I yeah. haven't seen it. I know. Yeah. We, yeah. we was actually supposed right. to do it like some time ago, but things got, got yeah. went wrong in the Matrix. But now we're doing it. Mm-hmm. And yo, I, I, I can't wait to check this yeah, out. Yeah, looking forward to it. All right. That's next week here on the Michelle Mission. Until then, he's Vincent. I'm Len. And in parting, we say, we'll see you when it's time to meet again.
The Michelle Mission is produced by Len Webb and Vincent Williams and edited by Len Webb with co-production by Mo Poplar, music by Alexa Gold, and filmed at the Video Content Factory. The Michelle Mission is a proud member of the Podglomerate Podcast Network.